Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 145 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This episode, 145, is for the week of November 3rd, 2018. And before I get into news and notes, guys, uh, real quick, let me just rant for 30 seconds about the Dodgers. I know, I know, baseball. It's, it's, it's a boxing podcast. I'm going to talk baseball for 30 seconds. I just got to vent my frustrations, okay? This series should be 3-2 Dodgers right now heading back to Boston. Instead, in game four, with the Dodgers ahead, Rich Hill pitching very, very well. There's a miscommunication. Manager Dave Roberts pulls him. He's made questionable decisions throughout the playoffs. Did last year, too. The Dodgers should have won the World Series last year. And uh, so all of a sudden, the Red Sox blow up. They blow out the Dodgers in game four. It goes to game five. Their spirit's broken. And the Dodgers once again blow it. Five games. Red Sox take it. They win, I think, their fourth series in the last 14 years. The Dodgers really should have won last year and had a real good chance to win this year. Look, the Red Sox just got red hot in October. Really, really beat some good teams to get to the series and looked outstanding. I mean, they were just a great, great team, but they got hot at the right time. I think Dave Roberts got to go. I think that the Dodgers manager, he's got to go. Two years in a row, you get him to the World Series, that's great, but you got to make better decisions, man. I mean, just some of the decisions are so highly questionable. I am a casual baseball fan. I'll admit I'm not a diehard fan, but I'm an educated casual fan. How about that? And I know some of those decisions that he made were very, very poor. Anyway, the Dodgers blow it for the second year in a row in the World Series. Okay, before we get into news and notes, let's talk about your guys' fee for episode 145 of TNC. Your fee this week is to let me know, those of you who watched the fight party Saturday night for Jacobs Derevyanchenko, which went two and a half hours Two and a half hours of me ranting and raving and doing some shots. Uh, Let me know what I could do to make those better. And, you know, right now, obviously, the setup is crazy. And, you know, we can do a better camera angle and all kinds of stuff. I know that. But just in terms of should it be shorter? Um, I don't know. Lighting should be better. What do you guys want? Do you want music going on? Let me know if there's anything I could do to make those better. And let me know if you want me to do more of them. It seems that they've been well-received and you guys have had fun with it. I'm thinking the next one should be Usyk Bellew. And then I think after that, it should be Wilder Fury. I think those are the two I'm going to do to close out 2018. Let me know what you guys think about that. If you'd like to do fight parties together for those two fights coming up. All right? And then, of course, as uh, I always say, go to Apple Podcast and find us. Follow, like, share, subscribe on all of it, right? Whether it's SoundCloud, whether it's um, YouTube, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, everything, okay? And get the word out about the channel. If you can go over to Patreon, please do so and support the show and the channel. If you want to pick up a shirt, you guys email me at MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. All right, let's get into news and notes. Okay, so... um, I don't know where to start with this, but I tweeted about this last week, and it's not really, to me, it's newsworthy, but it, you know, no one's talking about this. The Wilder Fury card, 
So this is a pay-per-view. We know it's December 1st. We know it's in Staples. Tickets are on sale. It's going down. It's a real thing. They announced this fight months ago, and then that was unofficial. Then they officially announced it uh, about a month or so ago. So this thing's been official for a while, and there's been all sorts of uh, different fighters and matchups rumored for the undercard. But as of today, Monday, I am, this is Monday, October 29th. We are a month away from this card. There is no undercard for this pay-per-view. This is not how you market and sell a pay-per-view. And I'm not trying to ream on PBC or Al Heyman. Of course, I get, con or I get uh, accused of being a PBC hater all the time. But guys, this is just a, a, an example of why it is so frustrating to deal with them. In, in from my perspective, I mean, just as a boxing fan, it's it's agonizing to deal with this stuff. If it, it look, if you want to spend several hundred dollars to go to this card, and I love that it's not in Vegas. I love that it's in a real boxing town. It's in Los Angeles at Staples. That's awesome. But if you are a fan and you're thinking about, well, do I spend eighty dollars to get the pay per view at home, or do I spend a few hundred bucks and get tickets? I guess that depends on. The undercard, and they were talking about, uh, you know, Leo Santa Cruz versus Gary Russell. There was talk that maybe that one of the Charlos would be on. Maybe it's Jared Hurd. There's all these rumors about different fights and fighters. Javante Davis, his name was thrown around. None of it's come to fruition. It looks like Luis Ortiz might get added against, uh, I think, Travis Kaufman. That's very possible. That's not pay-per-view worthy. That's maybe a pay-per-view opener. That ain't a co-main. But you've got Chris Ariola coming back against TBA. When's the last time he fought? You got Isaac Lowe, who's, I, I mean, he's fighting TBA too. I don't know what the hell he's doing on a pay-per-view. So right now, guys, and then from a media perspective, you know, I, I originally thought about going out to LA to cover that fight. It's a great main event. It's a wonderful main event. But just look at the disorganization with putting this thing together. You had the unofficial announcement when Fury beat uh, Pianetta over in the UK and Wilder was there and they announced it right there in the ring, right? It took at least a month. I, I can't, I'm getting, I can't remember the exact date, so bear with me, but I believe it was at least a month after that. It might've been two months after that before they officially announced the damn fight. It made it official and like, okay, here's where you can go for tickets, you know, more information. Here's the venue. Before that, it was just kind of up in the air. And now we have no undercard. We have no co-feature. So you know you're going to get a very good main event. But again, do you want to pony up the dough to fly to LA, to get a hotel, to pay for tickets for just a main event? Or do you want to stay home and order the pay-per-view? Or what a lot of you will do, get the illegal stream, find it out there of the pay-per-view, which you know you can do. And you'll probably find a stream on Russian TV or something, so you won't understand any of the commentary, so you know what you'll do? You'll turn down the volume, and you'll tune in to Montero Unboxing's Wilder Fury Fight Party on YouTube, and we can do commentary together while you do the illegal stream from Russia. <laughs> you know that's what a lot of you are going to do. So I don't know. This is just a frustrating thing, and it's not 100% on PBC and Al Heyman, but they are pulling the strings here. They are the lead in this. This is their promotion. Yes, there are other promoters involved, 
but they take a back seat. It is a PBC run thing. And they continue to show that they're just inept sometimes with the way they handle this stuff, man. It's really, really frustrating. And I bring that up because I wanted to segue into some comments Bob Arum made uh, in an interview with Steve Kim that was posted on Boxing Scene this week or last week. Uh, Steve Kim is really, really close with Bob Arum. They have a very, very good relationship. I mean, to basically to the point where Steve could just pick up the phone and call Bob and they can chat. You know, and he can get sound bites. And Steve kind of knows how to pull some stuff out of Bob that he knows is going to make headlines. And um, <laughs> Bob Arum basically called, well, not even basically, he literally called Al Heyman. He didn't use the name, but we all know who he was talking about. He called him a cancer multiple times uh, in an interview with Steve last week. And basically because um, Steve was talking to him about Lomachenko should he be successful in his next fight against Pedraza, which he will? What's the possibility of that full unification at lightweight with Mikey Garcia? One of the best fights that could be made in boxing. You know, what's the possibility? And uh, Bob Aaron basically said, well, there's cancer there. You know, we, there's a cancer that's going to prevent a Lomachenko-Garcia fight from happening. There's a cancer that's going to prevent a Crawford-Spence fight from happening. Now... I just spent five minutes or so criticizing PBC and Al Heyman. I've spent countless minutes doing it in the past. I've criticized every damn promoter from uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Eric Gomez over at Golden Boy to Tom Loeffler at 360 to Bob Arum at top rank. I've criticized all of them at some point. There is a definite pattern with PBC and Heyman and the way that they do business. But for Bob Arum to use the word cancer, dude, what do you think you're going to accomplish by doing that? To a certain extent, I can forgive Bob Arum because he's an old man. He's been around forever. He's quite possibly the most successful promoter in the history of boxing, at least in the last 50 years. You look at the events he's been involved in, the fighters he's brought up. Top Rank has been involved in so many Hall of Fame slash all-time great careers. So he's kind of earned the right to talk shit to a certain degree. Also, he has a good thing going with ESPN. He has the two best fighters in the world right now, pound for pound. I get it. But why? Why the constant need to feud and beef and battle with people? I don't know if it's an ego thing. Uh, I, just, I just don't know. But again, if you're Bob Arum, you got a good thing going on ESPN. You got the two best fighters in the world. So if PBC has a good thing going with Showtime and, and Fox and they just had a really, really good deal put together, be happy for them, man. You, you don't have to beef and fight with everybody. And let me be clear about this. Heyman beefs and fights with everybody and does really, really shady shit behind closed doors and just doesn't talk about it. Aram talks about it. That's the difference. All these guys play these, these games and do all this stuff. And, and Heyman, of course, is not without sin here. But Heyman doesn't do interviews in the media. And even the Watsons, the guys that represent him, they're pretty, um, I don't know what the right word is, they're pretty mundane in the media. They, they don't say too much and they don't beef too much. But uh, Aram just always, it seems he's got to be talking shit about somebody. I, I don't know, man. Um, just how, you know, I want to see Lomachenko Garcia. I want to see that. I want to see uh, Crawford Spence one day. But using words like cancer 
to describe the guy who represents those fighters, and, and those are two of his best fighters, man, that ain't going to help the process, bro. That ain't going to help it. And you're a smart guy, Grandpa Bob, so you know a word like that ain't going to help it. Anyway, I just had to talk about that. Uh, speaking about Spence and Garcia, apparently the talks are back on again. We shall see. I don't get that fight. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It would be a pay-per-view. Uh, neither guy has done enough to really prove that they're pay-per-view ready. I think Garcia is certainly closer to it than Spence. Garcia has actually you know, uh, done some very good crowds in Los Angeles. That's the best boxing market in America. He's been fighting for years. He has a lot of clout because he's won titles in different divisions. Say what you will about some of the titles and who he beat to win the titles. But he's ready with the right dance partner. Is Spence the right dance partner? I don't know. I think they're going to have to stack that pay-per-view to make it um, marketable. And if you look at the way they're handling the Wilder Fury pay-per-view, which is a much more marketable main event, I don't know, man. I just don't know, but we shall see. All right, some fights have come together. Let me stick with PBC. Uh, December 22nd at Barclays in Brooklyn, and this will likely be on Fox. Both Charlos fighting. Jermall Charlo is fighting Willie Monroe Jr. at 160 pounds, and Jermell is fighting Tony Harrison at 154 pounds. They're both defending their titles there. I don't love either fight, but it's very smart matchmaking. And I think it makes sense to put that on Fox because what you're going to get... So let's talk about Jermell against Tony Harrison. I've talked about Harrison before. Very, very skilled, you know, from my hometown. Good guy, good fighter, but he is a five-round fighter. He's an amateur fighter. I don't mean in terms of like his level. He's, he's professional level, but he's amateur in, in terms of rounds. After five rounds, the guy is just a different fighter. So expect this to be interesting early on, but down the stretch, Jermell chops him down and stops Harrison. And it might be a highlight reel type of stoppage in the mid-later rounds. And that's going to play well on Fox, you know, this Saturday before the Christmas holiday. Uh, where a lot of people will be at home watching that. So Jermall against Monroe, it's kind of more of the same. I, I mean, Monroe is obviously a better fighter than Harrison. He's going to put up a, a good challenge, but Monroe... Can't punch through a wet paper bag at middleweight. He had some success at times against Triple G. He had a lot of success against Billy Joe Saunders. Still lost that fight uh, pretty pretty handedly. I do think he'll have some success against Charlo early on. But again, he just doesn't have the power and the consistency. and doesn't punch enough, the, the punch volume, to keep Jamal off of him. And I can really see Charlo uh, stopping him in the later round. So I think both of these guys are going to get stoppages December 22nd after having some competitive early rounds. Does Do either of those fights move either of the Charlos up in the ratings in their division? No, they don't. But they keep them busy. They get them on regular network television. I get it. A card like this should be in Houston. This is precisely the type of card that should be in Houston. And there's really no excuse why it shouldn't be on December 22nd. But you're going to take two guys from Houston against uh, relatively unknown fighters, you know, and then put them on a card in Barclays. It just, I get it. You're getting the guaranteed money because of that deal that they have with Barclays. But you should be building up that home base in Houston, man. And this is the type of card that you really could do it. Just, just don't understand the way they're doing business over there, man. 
But interesting matchups either way. Okay, uh, Gilberto Ramirez versus Jesse Hart. The rematch is likely for December 14th in Corpus Christi, Texas. And of course, that would be on ESPN. I like that fight a lot. And I think that in Texas, it'll do a pretty good crowd. Uh, the Mexican-Americans will come out. I think some of the Philly fans will travel down to, to represent Hart. I think that's going to be a fun fight. It's not official or anything like that, but it's likely for December 14th. One fight that won't happen, and thank God, is uh, Frez Akendo, who's 45 years old, by the way, and hasn't won a meaningful fight in literally over a decade, is was supposed to fight Jarrell Big Baby Miller for a piece of the WBA heavyweight title, which is asinine because obviously Anthony Joshua holds the real title. He was offered $500,000 for a November 17th fight against Miller, which is, what, two weeks away? And rightfully, I don't blame him for this, but Okendo turned it down because he wants VADA testing. I don't know what he suspects Miller might be doing, but he wanted VADA testing for that fight, and you'd literally have two weeks to test the guy. So um, he just wanted a little more space. I don't know why the timing of this was so soon, but for Okendo, he must be doing okay financially because to turn down half a million dollars and, you know, look, Miller punches a lot. He's a big guy, but he doesn't punch very hard. But Okendo's 45 years old, you know, he's taken a lot of punches and, and for whatever reason, you know, I don't know, man, maybe he really didn't want to fight Miller and this was just a way for him to get out of it. I don't know, but 45 years old, dude, chance for a, a title, even though it was bullshit. And the winner of that fight eventually was going to get a crack at Anthony Joshua. We all know that's, you know, Eddie Hearn wants that to be Miller. Um, Akendo could have at least made half a million dollars. So in one, re in one respect, I understand why. But in another respect, I'm like, dude, this is prize fighting. This is your last chance. This dude ain't going to get half a million dollars. There, there must be something else in the works with the WBA who Okendo just seems to have their balls in a, in a vice because he gets opportunity after opportunity. He's been in litigation with them for years, but maybe him and his people are talking to the WBA people somehow, some way, and there's a lined up situation where they can fight for an interim title or something against a lesser opponent than Miller, and they think they can win that fight. So maybe long-term... They're looking at, you know, over the next year, maybe making more than half a million dollars. I don't know, man. All right, one other item, guys. Uh, Ryan Garcia, the pretty boy, the uh, Justin Bieber of boxing, will be working with Eddie Reynoso now. Of course, the Reynosos train one Saul Canelo Alvarez, the biggest name in the sport right now. Oscar Valdez, featherweight titleist, recently started working with Eddie Reynoso too. So if you think about it, if all these guys are working together, if you got Canelo, Oscar Valdez, and Ryan Garcia all working together, they get along, man, that's going to be that's going to be some good camps. So hopefully that can all work out. It can only make Garcia better. I know it's going to make Oscar Valdez better. We still don't know what the ceiling is for Ryan Garcia. I still think he's a knockout waiting to happen. I think Valdez is a lot more proven than him, obviously, but this, you know, nothing bad can come from this if you're Ryan Garcia. You could go in there, work with Reynoso, and just get better. All right, guys, that's news and notes. Let's review what took place last week.
Saturday, October 27th, there was a lot of boxing all over the world, but let's start in Sofia, Bulgaria. Here in the US, it was on ESPN Plus in the Arena Armik. Kubrat Pulev scores a unanimous decision over Huey Fury, wins an eliminator for the IBF Heavyweight Championship. He'll go up against Anthony Joshua probably next spring, I'm guessing April or May, over in London. Improves to 26 1 with 13 knockouts. Scores were 115, 113, 117, 111, 118, 110. Uh, Fury did have moments. I think he buzzed Pulev maybe in the eighth round uh, towards later in the fight, but Pulev held on well, responded, and to me seemed to thoroughly uh, control this fight for the most part. I thought Fury started well, was a lot more active than he was against uh, Joseph Parker in his first pro loss, but just like with that fight, he just didn't have uh, the levels to get this fight, uh, this W. So for Fury, we know who he is now. You know, he's just, he's that perennial contender uh, level guy in the heavyweight division. And Pulev, even though he's probably three, four years past his physical best, uh, still has enough to beat him. And uh, Joseph Parker beat him, as I mentioned earlier this year. I believe that was like a majority decision, but it should have been a unanimous decision. So Pulev. You know, he's got a payday now against Joshua. He was lined up to fight him before, but he got injured. He's going to fight him again next May. He's going to be a little bit older, even more of a punching bag. And that's a fight where Joshua is going to get a highlight reel type of knockout, I think, uh, after a few competitive rounds. In London at the Copper Box Arena on DAZN, it was a matchroom card. In the main event, John the Gorilla Rider. Improves to 27-4 with 15 knockouts. Scores a KO7 over Russian fighter Andrei Sorotkin. That was his first pro loss for Sorotkin. Also on this card, featherweight prospect Jordan Gill improved to 22-0 with a TKO7 win. And 154-pound prospect Ted Cheeseman improved to 15-0 with a UD12 win. Now here in the United States, let's go down to New Orleans at the Lakefront Arena where Sauerland and DeBella, Lou DeBella, worked together on a World Boxing Super Series Season 2 show on DAZN. And in the co-main, Ivan Branchek improves to 19-0 with 12 knockouts, scores a retirement 7 win over Anthony Yidget, who drops to 21-1-1, suffers his first loss as a pro. Branchek wins the vacant IBF 140-pound title and will fight the winner between Josh Taylor and Ryan Martin, who fight this Saturday. Uh, more about that later on in the show. This fight, you know, is pretty good. Uh, a lot of good action here. Some good back-and-forth two-way action early on. But Yidget's left eye busted up real bad and ended up at the middle rounds. Uh, well, obviously, he you know, was a retirement after the seventh. But probably around the fourth or fifth, it was completely shut. Just absolutely, completely shut. And he was fighting on, wanting to keep going. The ring doctor just told him in his corner, you guys need to stop. So Yijit absolutely proved that he has warrior heart, warrior mentality, fighter's mentality, but that eye was no good. I'm curious to see what the injury to the eye was. It looked to be more than just a swelling. There has to be a break somewhere in that orbital bone because that thing swelled up really, really bad. And it just looked, I mean, after the fight, when you saw some photos from the post-fight press conference and all that stuff, 
it looked really, really bad. I mean, twice as worse as it looked during the fight. So Baranchek, he gets the W. Uh, Yijit, you know, it remains to be seen how he will recover. And again, we got to find out what that eye injury is. But uh, just did not have enough power to keep Baranchek off. Baranchek gets the W. He's got the title. His next fight will be a title unification in the World Boxing Super Series semis. The thing about Baranchek I don't like, everything is one speed, man. Everything is one speed. And it just seemed to me that he was getting a little winded. He's in amazing shape. Don't get me wrong. But he was breathing out of the mouth. And some guys just are like that. They just breathe out of the mouth, even though you're not supposed to in boxing. But he was breathing out of the mouth in those middle rounds. Uh, Yujit was making a miss at times, coming back. But like I said, he just didn't have enough power. Baranchek, everything, everything. He just seems he's loading up and trying to put a lot of steam on it. And he was getting results. He was backing Yujit up. But if a guy with one eye can tag you, and Yujit was landing shots, if a guy with one eye can make you miss, and Yujit was making Branchek miss at times, it's because you're doing everything at one speed. There's no variety offensively. And I think that the next fight, whether it's against Taylor or Martin, I think both of those guys will be able to take advantage of that. So Branchek really needs to work on switching up the speeds to make a baseball reference. Everything can't be a fastball. You got to throw some curves. You got to throw some balls. Uh, you got to throw some, some sliders, some breaking balls. You got to mix it up. So that is what he needs to improve on. Now, in the main event, Regis Progray improved to 23-0 with 19 knockouts with a dominant one-sided win over Terry Flanagan. And for a Progray, it was the first defense of that WBC 140-pound title. He will unify titles with WBA champion Kirill Relic in the semifinal round of the World Boxing Super Series. Scores, uh, really, you know, not really necessary to read them off. 117, 110, 118, 109, 119, 108. Uh, They're pretty much a foregone conclusion. Um, Knockdown in the eighth round. Flanagan did get dropped, but he's proven before he is a tough customer. He got up, finished the fight on his feet, had a little moments here and there. Great 12 rounds of work for Pro Gray to look back on. This He needed this. When you're drilling guys and getting them all out of there, it's good sometimes to have a step-up fight like this against a, a guy like Flanagan who is experienced. You know, he has lost before, but he's always competitive, even, you know, if he loses. As, and he was, you know, clearly, clearly decisively beaten in this fight, but he was competitive, right? And that's just the heart that he has. Great fight, great matchup for Pro Gray. You know, they had the choice to pick that first opponent, and I think they chose wisely. And I like him over Relic in the semifinal round. It's going to be, my opinion, Progray and Taylor in the finals for that 140-pound tournament. Up in New York City at the Madison Square Garden Theater, DeBella and Matchroom worked together to do a card on HBO. This was a triple header. And those of you who watched my uh, fight party, you saw me ranting and raving covering that card for two and a half hours. It was a bit chaotic because I was going back and forth between that card, the uh, card from New Orleans, and the Dodgers game. So it was all over the place, but it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys had fun with it too. In the TV opener, Heather Hardy, female fight, wins a unanimous decision over Shelly Vincent. This was pretty much a shutout. Um, 
wins the vacant WBO female featherweight title. This is a rematch of their first fight from 2016. And as I mentioned during the fight party, uh, 2016, that first fight, I thought Hardy clearly won. But one of the judges had it a draw, I believe. And because of that, there was enough there where Vincent, she says that she felt she won and she deserved a rematch. So here it was. Entertaining, albeit one-sided scrap. And this was the first time Hardy was on HBO. HBO has never shown female boxing until the year that they decide to get out of boxing. So they had Cecilia Breakus on earlier this year. They're going to have her on their last card ever in December. I believe Breakus will be fighting in Los Angeles, and they're going to show her. So HBO gets to have that feather in their cap and say, hey, we supported the Me Too movement with a few female fights our last year in the sport. Good for you, HBO. For Heather Hardy, she's been on NBC Sports Network, Showtime, you know, a couple other networks, I think, here and there. I don't know if they've shown her entire fight, but I know they've at least shown highlights. This was a big deal for her, a big career accomplishment. I think being on HBO, I know Lou DiBello, her promoter, has been banging the drums forever to get her on HBO. And finally, finally, you know, a couple months before they leave the boxing business, they get her on. I don't know, HBO, just to show how out of touch the broadcast team is there and just the network when it comes to boxing they were pretty much billing this as the battle of rape survivors i don't quite understand the need to bring that up um look a lot of it is part of the story of these two women and what they've been through in their struggle i thought they could have focused more on their careers and what they've done in the ring so i know that they very very often will do vignettes about fighters and the things that they've been through and if they've been to jail and this, that, the other, but the battle of rape survivors, that just, um, and look, I'm, that's not what they said, okay? That's me talking, but they, they kept mentioning how both of these women were rape survivors, and that, to me, just came off a little political, trying to jump on the hashtag Me Too movement, which is just what HBO pretty much is. It's political propaganda these days, and uh, I'm glad they're leaving boxing between you and me. In the co-main, Alberto Machado, from Puerto Rico, improves to 21-0, 17 knockouts, absolutely brutalizes Cleveland native Ewan Dale Evans, who had no business being in the ring with Machado. Second defense of the WBA 130-pound title for Machado. Evans was down three times in the first. There was a massive size difference. Uh, Machado is huge for 130 pounds. He's 5'10", 72-inch reach. I don't know how the hell he makes 130 pounds. But the size difference was evident early on. Also, the head movement. Evans just had absolutely no head movement, uh, leaving his chin right open, leaving his head right in the middle, and just getting caught with, with counters. It was just, just brutal, just the one-sided nature of that round. Just completely different class as a fighter. So Machado moves on. Is he the best Puerto Rican fighter right now? We saw Emmanuel Rodriguez recently, right? He looked really good in the World Boxing Super Series. It's probably between those two for the best Puerto Rican fighter right now. Who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? And don't say Felix Verdejo <laughs> or Jose Pedraza. Okay, main event. Daniel Jacobs improves to 35-2 with 29 knockouts. A split decision over Sergei Drevyonchenko who falls to 12-1 and one with 10 knockouts. Jacobs wins the vacant IBF middleweight title 
that belonged to Gennady Golovkin before the IBF took the title from him because he went a different route than fighting Derevyanchenko. That has been well publicized. No need to go back down that road. There were 4,691 fans in attendance at the theater. So this was not the Madison Square Garden main room. This was the theater. Almost 4,700 fans there. Uh, Derevyanchenko was down in the first round. And the scores were 115-112 twice. And there was one judge who had it 114-113 for Derevyanchenko. Several news boxing news platforms scored the fight. Most of them scored the fight for Jacobs. I did not see one that scored it for Derevyanchenko. I know ESPN had it 115-112 for Jacobs. Most boxing news platforms seem to have that score right around there. Now, watching this fight live, I had it like 116-111 because of the knockdown. I thought Jacobs won eight rounds of this fight. But there are a lot of people who felt it was very, very close. And a lot of you out there had Derevyanchenko winning. I'll get into why I think you guys are wrong in just a second. Real quick, just wanted to talk about Jacobs and really both guys, where they go next. Uh, this was the last fight of Jacobs' HBO contract. So that all works out perfectly. He will likely go with DAZN next, right? Because he's being promoted by Eddie Hearn and Matchroom USA, who has an exclusive deal with DAZN. So you know, you're pretty confident that's where Jacobs will go. He called out Canelo Alvarez next, who fights on the zone now. So that's a very doable fight. We know Jacobs wants it. Everyone wants Canelo right now because that's a huge payday. Does Canelo want it? I don't know. I really don't know. Also, Demetrius Andrade. You know, I talked about this during the, the fight party. Andrade has a title. Yeah, he's not very exciting, right? Sometimes watching his fights is like watching paint dry, but dude has a title. So if Jacobs can't get Canelo in the ring and he feels confident that he could beat Andrade, maybe you go with that fight. But both of those fights, they're on the zone. So that's clearly where Jacobs is going next. His official purse for this fight was $1 million, but with the upside, the bonuses and everything he has with the deals he has worked out, he'll get almost $2 million. Uh, total for this fight. Now, Derevyanchenko made about 460000 officially, but he will get well over a million dollars when you factor in foreign TV money and upside bonuses, all that stuff. So both guys got paid pretty well for this fight when you factor in all the money. Uh, coming in, okay, so I want to talk about punch numbers here because, look, a lot of you guys don't like CompuBox punch numbers. I get it. You cannot score a fight solely based on punch numbers, but they do provide an extra element that you can look at, an extra ingredient to the recipe, right? And they do tell a story of a fight in certain ways. There are many other factors that you have to score, but clean, effective punching is supposed to be the number one category you score fights on. Of course, there are other categories. But if we look at the CompuBox numbers, and this is what I don't like about what HBO and Showtime and all the networks do. They show the overall punch numbers at the end of the fight. So you see the overall punch numbers and you see that uh, Jacobs landed 181 punches, Derevyanchenko landed 160. You see that both guys landed exactly 137 power punches. So you look at that and based off those punch numbers, you say, holy shit, that's a close fight. That could be a draw. 
Jacobs landed about 20 more jabs. They land the same amount of power punches. Derevyanchenko threw, I want to say, like 200 more total punches. So when you look at the totality of the punch numbers, that's what you see. That's what you see, right? Well, here's the deal. Let me go in depth a little bit beyond that because when you look at round-by-round round punch numbers, it tells a different story. When you also look at historical punch numbers versus what each fighter did Saturday, that tells an even deeper story. So let's start with the historical numbers. CompuBox has been watching Jacobs for years. They have a ton of data on him, and they have some data on Derevyanchenko too. Coming into this fight, coming into this fight, Jacobs averaged throwing 46 punches around, landing 15, so landing about 32% of his punches. Derevyanchenko averaged throwing 63 punches per round, landing 25, 40% connect rate. That was their average coming in. Now, in this fight, Jacobs was average per round, 15 for 48, 31%, right in line with his historical average. I mean, almost to the number. He was 15 for 46, 32% coming in. Saturday night, he was 15 for 48 for 31%. Basically, what does that tell us? It means Jacobs did what Jacobs does, right? But if you look at Derevyanchenko, who came in, again, 25 for 63, 40% per round. Saturday night, he averaged 13 for 54 for 24%. So when you look at Derevyanchenko against Jacobs, his offensive output was lower, his connect percentage was lo much lower, and his overall connected shots per round were about half, okay? So he threw less, about 10 less per round average, and landed half of what he normally lands. So that tells me that when you look at what Derevyanchenko did Saturday night versus what he does historically, Jacobs was able to get him to cut his volume a little bit, but significantly cut down the amount of punches he landed at the connect percentage he landed at. That means something, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at this further. Everybody talked about the body shots, the great body work Derevyanchenko did. Yes, he landed 32 body shots. Guess what? Jacobs landed 48. So he landed about, almost, 50% more. Actually, I think right at 50% more. That's significant. But now, I was talking about round-by-round round punch numbers. All right, let me show you this. The first nine rounds of that fight, Derevyanchenko landed 96 punches out of 416 thrown. So he was 11 for 46 per round, okay? The first nine rounds. The last three rounds, he landed 64 punches out of 242 punches, averaging 21 for 81 a round. So, first nine rounds, he lands 11 punches around, throws 46. Last three rounds, he averages 21 punches, landed, throws 81. What does that tell you? That tells you that he knew he was way behind after nine rounds and had to close the show strong. It also tells you a massive bulk of his punch numbers, both activity and punches landed, came over three rounds. That means the other nine rounds, he was outworked. That is why I had Jacob so far ahead in this fight. If you look at round-by-round round punch numbers, 
Jacobs outlanded Derevyanchenko in eight of 12 rounds. Derevyanchenko outlanded Jacobs in two rounds. And then there were two rounds they landed the exact same amount, including the 12th and final round. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a lot more in-depth statistical punching analysis than the simple total punch stats HBO gives you at the end of the damn fight. Now, I get it. They can't throw a graphic up there that has 12 rounds because it's going to be all over the place and look muddled. But the commentators, Jim Lampley, Max Kellerman, Roy Jones, they're supposed to give you the analysis I just gave you. That is their freaking job. They didn't provide that. So the way that they talked about the fight with just punch numbers, you would think that that was damn near a draw. But when you start breaking it down round by round and you start looking at historical numbers versus what they did Saturday, when you're scoring just based off clean, effective punching by round in boxing scores per round, 10-point must system, this is an eight rounds to four fight in favor of Danny Jacobs. End of fucking story. Let's move on. Preview time. So today, as I'm recording this, Monday, October 29th in Pasay City in the Philippines, Filipino fighter Randy Petokorin is fighting Nicaraguan Felix Alvarado. It's on ESPN+. They're fighting for the vacant junior flyweight title. I don't know the result of that fight yet. As I said, it's going on right now as I'm recording this. So I'll let you guys know in episode 146 next week. Tomorrow, Tuesday, October 30th, It'll be another Hollywood fight night at the Avalon in Los Angeles from 360 Promotions featuring several undefeated prospects and they'll be streaming that online on their site. So check that out. Then this Saturday, November 3rd, we got a couple of good cards. World Boxing Super Series action. Once again, on the zone at the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland, UK. We got two fights on this card. Let's talk about Ryan Burnett. 19-0, nine knockouts, going up against Nonito Donaire, the veteran, former fighter of the year, a uh, four-time world titleist in four different divisions. He's 38-5, 24 knockouts. These two are fighting for the WBA Super 118-pound title and the vacant WBC Diamond Bantamweight title. The IBF Bantamweight title should be included, but... Uh, Burnett was stripped because of some IBF rules. So uh, neither one of those titles is the clear title. There's there are two offset versions of what the you know the WBA and WBC love doing this shit. So it's not the regular WBA title. It's the super, and it's not the regular WBC title. It's the diamond. But clearly, Burnett Donaire is a great fight. And Burnett, this is classic, just like experience versus youth, right? Burnett, 26 years old, 5'4", 66-inch reach from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Donaire, almost 10 years his senior, 35 years old. The taller, longer guy, 5'7", 68-inch reach. He's held titles at 112, 118, 122, and 126. So he's fought much heavier than this, and he's worked his way back down in weight. Went pro in 2001. So he's been fighting as a professional for going on two decades now. He has seen it all. 
This is a major step up for Burnett, just in terms of class, opposition, uh, fighting a guy that has so much experience and has been uh, fighting the best all around the world for so long. I'm really excited for that matchup. We're gonna see what Burnett has because yes, is Donaire past his best years? Sure, sure. But as I mentioned, bigger, taller, stronger guy, much harder puncher and just eons more experience. So this will be a lot of fun, man. Uh, Burnett, as I mentioned, uh, 26 years old, man. 26 going up against a guy who's 35 years old. I love matchups like that in boxing. And will we see a passing of the torch? Will we see Burnett get tested? We'll find out. Also on this card, great, great fight between Josh Taylor and Ryan Martin. WBC 140-pound title. Uh, the winner goes on to the semifinal round in the World Boxing Super Series to fight Ivan Baranchek. So that's going to be pretty damn good. And I think the winner between Burnett and Donaire fights Zolani Titi. So uh, Taylor and Martin, look, Martin is a good, solid prospect, and he's really looked improved in recent fights. Going on the road, though, fighting Taylor. Taylor, to me, looks to be the goods, and you have to favor Taylor. But there's always that X factor. You don't know. You know, Martin really hasn't been tested, right? We've seen Taylor tested to a degree. We have. We have not seen Martin get tested like this. Sometimes a guy gets tested in you know, harsh territory, going overseas, fighting the guy in his backyard, so to speak, in the UK. Um, and a lot of times, you know, these guys, the, that first big test, you see him falter. But sometimes they get that big test and they show you something that you didn't know was there. They show you an extra wrinkle, an extra element. Is Martin one of those guys? Does he have that extra element? Or is he going to go up there, put forth a great effort, and just will class reveal itself? On paper, Taylor has the higher class, and you should win this fight and move on to the next round. I'm excited for that car. I, I just I think that that crowd in Glasgow is going to be loud and just having a great time. The crowds over there are awesome. Two good, solid matchups. That's going to be a lot of fun on the zone. Now, here in America, we got a couple of cards uh, in Brooklyn at the Aviator Sports Complex. Sullivan Barrera is fighting Sean Monahan on Facebook Watch. So, look, if you don't have the zone, if you don't have ESPN Plus and all those apps that cost money, I'm sure you got Facebook and that shit's free. So you're getting some free boxing this weekend. And look, Barrera is should, should on paper plow through Monaghan. But Barrera sometimes can get caught. He could be dropped by guys he's better than, right? He just has more levels, more skills and talent than. We've seen it happen before. So which kind of Barrera shows up? Is he 100% focused and motivated? Does he run right through Monaghan? Or does he show up there and brawl a little bit and kind of get a little lazy? We've seen it before and get dropped. It's possible. We might have some rock'em, sock'em, robots type of thing happening in that fight. Either way, I do not see it going the distance. I do see Barrera winning. I see him winning by knockout. The question is, will he take punches and route to the knockout? Will he get dropped? Will he get hurt and route to the knockout? That's why I think you got to watch. I think it's going to be fun. And then in El Paso, Texas, at the Don Haskins Convention Center, and this is on ESPN+, Plus, the Battle of the Miguels, Miguel Burchelt versus Miguel Roman, 
for the WBC super flyweight title. This is going to be a great fight. Really, really great fight. And there's a lot of question marks here. You know, for Burchelt, he had a big 2017. He had a couple of big wins, great entertaining fights, and then kind of fell off this year. He's kind of fought these nondescript opponents down in Mexico, kind of fell off American airwaves. He had all this momentum, and it just kind of just fell away. You can say the same thing about Miguel Roman, though, because he had that TKO of Orlando Salido late last year on HBO, and that was an exciting win for him. You know, it might have been a signature win of his career, and he's kind of gone away and fought some nondescript opponents in Mexico this year off of TV. So both of these guys have had a lackluster but fairly active 2018. This will be the third fight for both guys of 2018. So they have stayed active. They've stayed in the gym. I just think when you, when you look at all of that, that you know they want to get back to where they were last year. Um, they've been staying active, so you, you should expect them to both be in shape, on weight, looking really, really good, looking sharp. Mexican versus Mexican. I just think you're going to get a great matchup here, man. This is, as I mentioned, on ESPN+. Plus. Now, I just talked about Alberto Machado, Puerto Rican, who holds the title. Red hot right now. His last fight was on HBO. He's had a couple of fights on HBO recently. Where does he go next? Does he go to the zone? Could he go to ESPN+. Plus? I don't know, but I would love to see the winner between Burchelt and Roman, and it should be Burchelt. Burchelt just seems to have an extra level that Roman doesn't have. But regardless who wins, whether it's Burchelt or Roman, I would love to see the winner fight Alberto Machado next. Unified titles, that would be Mexico versus Puerto Rico. It doesn't get any better than that, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what I would like to see. All right, so that is it for this week, guys. Episode 145 in the books. Remember, um, your fee this week. Let me know what I could do to make the fight nights better. Let me know if you want to see Usyk Bellew fight party and a, uh, a Wilder Fury fight party. I think those will be two good fights to do a live fight party too. That's it, guys. All right? I'll see you at the fights.